0: I was recently given the opportunity to do a Bible study on Christ in the Old Testament. What follows is that presentation. I'm not going to be able to dive into nearly all of the stuff that we've got there because it's basically like you could just read the whole Old Testament if we really wanted to. Um, we could do a whole thing on Leviticus because it's fantastic. But for the purposes of today, we're going to try and do a broad overview. Diving into some of the major characters that are covered in things like um, Vacation Bible School or um, Sunday School with a focus on the, um, the, the distinction that, the, that we can look at for them in the New Testament. That, that what we need to pay attention to as Christians. And what the uh, New Testament Christians looked at these individuals for. So for that, any of you who have uh, Bibles, uh, please open to Hebrews 11. That's going to kind of be our focus for the section. Do you want us to get more Bibles for everybody? Um, Do we have them? Yeah, I can go get some. Okay, thank you. We are going to be jumping around quite a bit, so. There's a whole right right time jump. Oh, just here. All right. This is great audio. Who needs a... All right. There we go. Hebrews 11. Um, uh, we will be moving at a pretty good click because there is a lot of Old Testament and a lot of Jesus. So um, please try and hang on. And if I talk too fast, just let me know. Um, but we're going to try and hit a lot of stuff in a little time. So... I'm not gonna read through it just yet, the, um, but definitely keep a bookmark there. So, Hebrews 11 is the chapter. You know, again, these these weren't these weren't written with chapters, but this is the section where the the author of the Hebrews writes on faith of the um, faith of the Old Testament Christians. Right? They not not called Christians because they were looking backward to Jesus but because they were looking forward to the Messiah which is a um, Hebrew word whereas Christ is Greek uh, for the same uh, idea that we're looking at so um, they they were looking forward towards something that we now look back to in Jesus and the point of this of this section is to talk that is to tell us that this was done by faith and not by some great uh, power of, of will or work, and that is what he wants to remind us of for the purpose of what is there in chapter 12, um, which is really the focus of chapter 11. So really quickly turn to chapter 12. we We're going to read the first couple of verses, and then that's going to guide what we're reading here in chapter 11. So 12, verse 1. so that you will not grow weary and lose heart." So why do we have the, why is he focusing on the cloud of witnesses? What's the point of it there in verse three? What's he saying? So in verse three he's saying, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, right? So that's really the, gonna be the the lens through which we read chapter 11, we? use chapter 11 to read the Old Testament. Right? Is this little this piece right here where he's talking about what is the point? What is the point of having this book, this giant chunk of of words that doesn't sound quite the same as the rest of it? So, usually we would start in the beginning and go this direction. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to go the other way. There's a reason for it. Part, part of it is that we generally know some of the stuff that goes on around here. We've got Adam here, Noah, Abraham, Judah, Moses, um, Rahab and Ruth, David and Elijah. And we generally cover these guys pretty well, and we cover them quite a bit, and this guy and this guy and this guy get a lot of attention. So we're gonna go backwards and try and hit them in the inverse order. Um, hopefully that works well with time frames and also to the other the other reason for this is this is Jesus alright we got the bloodline and the promise line so Moses is not of the bloodline he was not a an ancestor of Jesus but he was a prophet so that's why he's on this side of the line there's there's some rationality to the graphic um you know David's a little bit on both Abraham's a little on both should probably be equal but I wanted to be artistic with it And these are the questions we're gonna be looking at. So, when are they, where are they, who are they? Um, What do they do, so why do we care about them? Um, Why do we remember them? And then this one, um, anyone here who does not know know this phrase, simul justus et peccator. Yeah, it's Latin, and it means um, simultaneously justified and sinful. So it's the A shorthand way of saying yes, as Christians we are forgiven and we are you know, Christ died for us taking away the sin of the world but are we perfect? No. Uh, Unless anyone here is perfect I haven't met him yet. So um, (laughs) it's it's to remind us that we're sinners and, and we need to take that backwards and recognize that these people were sinners too but they were still saved as the author of the Hebrews says by faith. So let's look at that. Let's look at the faith of these men and women. And see um, what does this tell us about Jesus, about God's work, God's promises, and the environment in which Jesus arrived. Right? That's the other that's the other reason for going backwards. He's here. And and where who who were the people he went to, he arrived with? Right? Where did where did when yeah. was Jesus? Right, about what what year do we know? About zero. About zero. <laughs> about zero. Year, probably was about, about was like 20 two 20. or three. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. Approximately zero AD. Um, so we are two thousand years over here, which is probably like here, not to scale. Um, so two thousand years ago, Jesus arrives where? In Israel, right? Bethlehem to be specific, right? Who is he? We'll cover that later. Um, that's basically why we come to church every Sunday. Um, what did he do? Same thing. Why? Well, there we go. Right? But for the purpose of this, who did he arrive to, right? Who were the people he was interacting with on a daily basis? It would be... The Israelites. Israel, yeah. The, the, the people who came back from exile. So... That's where we're going to start, All right? who Who are the who are his main antagonists in in the New Testament? The main antagonists of Jesus, the people he's always we're always picking fights with him. It's the the Pharisees and the and the Sadducees and and well, the scribes and Pharisees are the big ones. So the scribes are the people who read the Old Testament, and the Pharisees are the ones who tried to be good people. What was their culture on a what was a religious culture like? Right? Somewhere in here I don't know exactly again, not to scale, somewhere in there is the exile. Um the people of Israel, right, who we will we'll find out the rest of their history, but there was a people group located in This is, this is my rough Mediterranean Sea. Very artistic. Oh, Turkey. Turkey, there we go. And this is all water over here, right? So this is ocean and this is the heel of the boot for Italy. We're right there. It's a terrible graphic, but in Israel, these there's a, a group of people who are related uh, by their common ancestry, their common culture and heritage. And they were their nation, their their country, their little place of land was overrun, and they were taken into slavery. Not well, not slavery. They were taken into exile um, in Babylon, which is over in. Um, the Middle East, uh, by oh, let's see, Baghdad. I think it's about Baghdad, um, or a little further south, maybe. But modern-day Iraq, Iran, and they were there for a while. Returned, and then they were were waiting because their history had all of these great men. They knew these stories of Abraham, Moses, and David, right? When we when we meet the Jews in the New Testament, who are the people that are always talking about it's you know we have abraham as our father you know are you greater than moses or, you know you know, D- you know jesus mentions david quite a lot you know and peter even mentions him, you know his grave is with us to this day how could david send that you know um say these things um are you elijah who is to come right why do they care about elijah we're going to cover that in just a few minutes um, but they were sitting here waiting for, for nothing because they had been taken out into exile and heard absolutely nothing from God since they got back, except what he had already written. And what was that? We'll get to it. But they're waiting. And in their waiting, they're trying, they try to bring things about of their own will. They're trying to create their own, um, system by which they can get God to to show up and do what they want and get their country back get their power back you know they used to be a, a very formidable power I would say they probably had significant influence in this entire area of the world which was the the world at the time uh, so they are a people who were once great right here with David they and then they lost their their land and now they're they're just kind of waiting for something and one of the things they're waiting for is Elijah to return. Or Elijah who is to come. There, there's, a, there's somebody who's supposed to come back and let us know, hey, things are going to get better again. This, uh, in the Gospels, we read this as John the Baptist, but who who was Elijah? So, let's turn really quickly to First uh, Kings... Um let's see first thing is chapter 18 253 17 Thank you. Yeah uh 253. 253 253 in your in these in these uh Bibles. so Thank you <laughs> Yeah I yeah Yeah you hit it it was again Uh 1 Kings chapter seventeen. We're just gonna we're just gonna touch on it, and then we're gonna basically skim through. Not gonna spend too much time digging in because we got a lot, a lot of people here. But we're gonna cover. We're gonna look at who is Elijah. What does he do? Right. So first of all, we know when he is. Right. He's he's coming a uh, few hundred years before Jesus. Several hundred years before Jesus. Um. Anyway, you know. So where's he going? He's going to people of Israel. Specifically Israel, right? Because we've got, um, yeah. this is Israel. This is a terrible view of Israel. Right? Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee. We've got, we got two divisions, right? Down here is Judah, and up here is Israel. Um, so he's going up here to a king named Ahab. Right, there's a king who set himself up in these northern tribes saying I'm I'm in charge here. This is what's going to matter. So what does he say? Verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. I don't know where that is. I have to look it up. Said to Ahab, as the Lord of the as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next uh, years except at my word. Um And then verse seven, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, right? Um, So it came true, right? So Elijah is a prophet because of, well, actually, if we go back to verse uh, two, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So, so who is this Elijah guy? At the very least, he's a prophet. He's been sent to Ahab, king up here, to tell him God's doing something. Why? Uh, now let's go to uh, next page, 18, verse uh, 16. So Obadiah, this is somebody who he's met, uh, went to meet Ahab and told him, and and, uh, Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So, what's he doing? First, he he sends a drought, so we got no water. And now, we've got a showdown. Why? Because these guys up here have abandoned the promise of God. they go abandoned the commandments of God, and then they've gone to worship false gods. Right? This is part of the reason that they will be uh, annihilated before the exile, only these people down here end up going to exile. So then, what does he do? Right. Do um. Uh, this this is a this is a very classic story. We don't have time to jump into it too much, but I'm going to hit it on the the end part. Um, verse thirty six. Give you a second to get there. Verse thirty six, chapter eighteen. At the time of the sa- of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also looked up the water at, in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So, he prays to, to God, and a mighty work is done in the sight of all the people to remind them that even though they've been turned away, they've been turned, uh, one, God's still speaking to him, right? He's still trying to call him to repentance. And two, God is God. I mean, you can turn away all you want, but that doesn't make God not God. He's still in charge. Um, He's still the Lord of heaven and earth. And Elijah is here to, to proclaim that. To who? These people. Who knows about it as well? These people, right? What happens to these people? They go into exile, they come back, they wait. Um... Couple more great things he does. We're gonna. I'm just gonna scroll through it here. Um, he then he runs away. We get the. Um, he runs down to the mountain of God, which will show up earlier in our story. Uh, and then he uh, does a few other works before being taken up into heaven by chariots of fire in uh, Second Kings chapter two, which is. Uh, Fantastic imagery. Again, we don't have time to touch on all this because we're, we're trying to do—I'm trying to do a broad spectrum. But he, his, um, his successor, Elisha, asks for something in uh, Second Kings chapter two, verse nine. You know, right. moving quickly. Um, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, "Tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you." let me inherit a double portion of your spirit Elisha replied you have asked a difficult thing Elijah said yet if you see me when I am taken from you it will be yours otherwise not and he does see him as the rest of the thing continues and then what does Elisha do does he do anything different than Elijah in terms of his ministry uh, in terms of his not ministry his preaching well, no. He does exactly the same thing. He's preaching that the people need to turn from their idolatry. He uh, also does some some very interesting things. We get um, chapter 2, verse verses 23 through 25. We're not going to touch on them, but it's the, the she-bears. Um, very interesting story. And then we get you know the widow's oil, right? So her oil is not is not used up. So that is a um, that's a miracle. Uh, we do not have a scientific explanation as to how oil could be used and not ex- uh, completely used out. So it's a miracle. Um, we get a very very important one here too in Second Kings chapter four, um, verse verses eight through um, thirty six. Right. He spends some time with a woman there who has a son, and the son dies, and he, he prays for the child, and the child comes back to life. Or the son, we don't know about child, but the son, his, her son comes back to life. So, raises a kid from the dead. That doesn't happen. So, we have, we, uh, well, and then, okay, before we get into so. Then chapter five we have Le- uh, Naaman the leper right another story. Chapter six the, the floating um, axe head. Just just some absolutely ridiculous things going on. Mighty works are being done among the people, but at the hand of Elisha through the the spirit of Elijah right the double portion of the spirit would follow him. He's doing these mighty works, um, more or less, in the name of Elijah, right? Who, who it, which is in the name of God, right? God sent Elijah; he appointed Elisha as his successor, and they they both do very mighty works. With what purpose? I mean, is it, it do they do it because they want money? No. Uh, do they do it because they they want to be remembered in a in a book for for thousands of years? Not themselves. They do it because. They do it because they are trying to bring these people to repentance because they've fallen away from the faith. They've abandoned the faith and gone off to worship false gods, to worship other religions, to to value other things more in their lives than the work that God promised to do for them, than the salvation he promised to bring to them and then um, the recognition that they were sinners in need of that salvation that's what he's re- trying to remind them of They'll, that they are a people who need a an end to the famine and and drought that has entered their land that they need a they need someone who can come and raise them from the dead right and it can't be them right the 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 dead son of the Shunammite woman cannot Heal herself. Um, Naaman goes to the prophet because he's a leper, and he's a leper in the in the army of the most powerful and ruthless people on earth, probably in history. the The Assyrians were by far the gr- you know the greatest. I would argue the greatest war warfaring people in in human history. They were just masters of absolute destruction and cultural annihilation. And this guy's at the top of that chain and he goes to the guy who's over here because someone who he's captured who's in his his wife's service says that's where the true God is. That's where the word of God is. And there alone can you be healed. So Elijah's purpose is to point people to The promise that someone's gonna come and do far more than he is. He's trying to bring these people back to repentance. They don't, right? What happens to these people? Those Assyrians come down and utterly destroy them. Their culture is wiped off the face of the earth. Their people are spread out to the four corners of the earth. It doesn't have corners, but we all understand the metaphor. Um, they They are utterly annihilated and forgotten. The only reason that doesn't happen to these people is because of a promise made beforehand, most importantly here to Adam. Right? That's but for God's purposes made here to Abraham as well and to David, right? That's why these people survive. It's not it's not because they don't do it. They do the exact same stuff. It's just that there's a promise underlying this. So, what's the first part of this promise, right? Let's keep going backwards. So. We've got a people here waiting. They know they, that they need someone else to come and perform, who's going to perform some sort of signs and wonders, as he did in the past, as God did in the past, to to lead to his, uh, to, to preach the word, right? When, when when God sends, when there's a prophet who's doing such mighty works, it's, in the Old Testament, it's generally it's a general sign he's from God, because otherwise God raises up somebody else to do mightier works than these. Um, all right? And, and there, is no, there is no greater work in the Old Testament than raising someone from the dead, right? This is, this is the peak of miracles, right here. Um, so, so, where did this come from, right? Who are these people? What is this nation, right? What is this kingdom that, this that, that we have here? For this one, let's go back to a classic. David. Everybody knows David, right? Yeah. Anybody here who does not know who David is? All oh, good. Um, if so, I would have to put the brakes on really hard. Um, so, uh, let's see. 1 Samuel chapter 16. There we go. First Samuel, sa- chapter 1 sec- Samuel chapter 16. Um, again, we're, we don't have time to go in depth. You all should have Bibles at home, so if you really want to dive into it, I'd encourage you all to read it, um, as I'm sure Pastor would as well, but for, for my sake. We're going to keep moving, right? First um, uh, Samuel, chapter 16, I'm going to start with verse 11. Uh, so Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest. Jesse answered but he is tending the sheep Samuel said send for him we will not sit down until he arrives so he sent and had him brought in he was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features Then the Lord said rise and anoint him he is the one so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power um, anybody know the word the meaning of the word uh, messiah Uh, that would be um, rabbi. Okay. Would be teacher. Um, Savior, one who um Pastor. <laughs> Want to just double check this? Um, yeah, I might as well Google it. For um, the word Christ, right? Christ is the easy one. Right? Anybody know the meaning of the word Christ? Uh, we have this. We use this this word um, in our um, baptismal. Idea, ideas, right? When you're christened, you're given a name. Uh, I want to be as specific as possible, so I'm not Anointed. teaching you here. Thank you. I thought so. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Anointed one, yes. That's great. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and messiahed him in the presence of his brothers. That's what's happening to David. He's the messiah. Of sorts, right? Now we know he's not the ultimate Messiah, and even the people of Israel know this. But he is a he is an anointed one. Um. And Christ is the same word; it's just in a different language. Uh, this is why David's important, right? More or less, right here. Um, now there was another guy who was also anointed, though, right? before this immediately afterwards right verse 14 now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul who's Saul anybody know the king yes he is um, at the same time as David Well, he was already the king yes so there's already a king and David's now been anointed so there's two men who God has called to be king and one of them has the spirit and one of them doesn't who has the spirit David. David so David has the spirit of God and has been anointed by God to be the king but there's already a guy in the, in that position who God said this is the king before him any reasonably self-interested individual would say fantastic I get to kill the king now or I get to take down the king and what follows in in this in this long story of, of Saul and David that continues throughout Samuel is opportunities of moments where David interacts with Saul, right? We have David and Goliath, right? David goes out, uh, fantastic thing, goes out to, to see his brothers on the battlefield and there's a there's a, there's a an enemy giant standing on the battlefield, opposed to them, calling down curses on their God, on the one who gave them all these promises, right? Their, their God, the one who brought them through, who gave them, who gave them all of their, their blessings, he's calling down curses on him and saying, oh, you know, who do you see, think he is? Who do you think you are that you're worshiping this guy? David goes out there and says, well, how are you letting him do that? You can't let him do that. So what does he do? He goes and accepts the challenge. No, in the faith that God would not let His name be blasphemed that way, and God gives him victory. How does how does how does he ultimately gain victory over Goliath? By the way, it's a common misconception, right? The initial victory is is how like, how does he knock him down? Yeah, slinging a stone, yep. right? What a what a fantastic! Thing. And yet, what does he do next? Does he does he just, I mean, does that kill him? Next, then David pulls out the giant's sword and cuts his head off, right? Um, bruises his head. We'll touch on that later. That would uh, t- tends to do do it pretty well, you know. And then he comes down and he grabs the head of the giant and he holds it up in front of the army, right? And he says, "All right, you thought you guys were cool. Look at me. Look at this guy. I win. And not I win, but." my God does not tolerate this blasphemy in this land. Don't you think you can come into here and and end the promise that we've been given because you're powerful and strong. We have a God more powerful than that on our side. Um, that's, that's, the first, that's, that's Saul's first interaction really with, with David. I mean, maybe the the harps and stuff. But but you know, really, that's, that's the first one that sticks with him. Why? Because when they get back, who are the people singing songs about when they return from the war? They're singing about David, right? They're not singing about Saul who was sitting there in his camp trying to find some strategy of, of war. They're singing about the guy who actually did the work, went out there and won the battle with a single swing of a sword. Well, a stone and then a sword. Um... Saul seems to, to realize that the spirit is not with him. He's got another um, spirit upon him, a spirit of, oh um, uh, what's the exact verbiage? An evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul, First uh, Samuel 18, verse uh, 10. right? He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. Um, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So, now we've got a guy who has been anointed by God and given the promise, and he has the Spirit of God with him, and a guy who was previously given that blessing and he's still the king, who's hunting him for his life. And what does David do every single time they come into contact? Um, let's see, ver- uh, chapter twenty-three. He is he's being hunted, and um, just for one example, um, ver- uh, chapter twenty-four. Chapter twenty-four, verse. Uh, we'll start with verse eight, right? So Saul has encamped. He's hunting David. David goes down into the camp and and takes a piece of his of his cloak, a, a corner of his robe, right? In the morning, Saul wakes up, and or not not wakes up. He's oh he's going into the cave to to do some stuff there, and. He gets the cloak here. There's a different one where other things happen. But Saul's, Saul is there, and David leaves this cave, and he says, My lord the king, when uh, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered me you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done me, but my hand will not touch you. So even though David has been given an anointing from God by the prophet Samuel, he won't take it for himself, right? We know he he is he is trusting God. Uh, we know that from David and Goliath. We know that here, right? God God said, "I will make you king." God uh, God delivers Saul into his hand, so he can do he can go he can take the take the, take it by his own will, right? By his own force, David could have become king right there. Kill Saul. You're the king now. But he doesn't. Because he trusted that when God said, you know, when God had anointed him through Samuel, God would bring it to pass. This is the theme that, that that we've seen. The reason for that is well, these are the guys. We'll head on. We'll come back. We'll come back at the end if we have time. Um, and I hope to have time. Um, Saul eventually does die, and David is merciful, and then becomes the king, right? And then there's a promise that God makes to David, right? So now David is the king of all of this stuff, right? So before it's divided, it's one great kingdom. It's possibly, you know, it is the power at the time. I tend to think that this is what, like the, the eventual divide of this kingdom is, in my mind, what brings about the end of the Bronze Age. Right? You know, brings Greece into the ma- uh, a major point in, in history because they have economic and political collapse. Um, stuff for the podcast. But David is now king over the geopolitical power in the region, uh, and as he's expanding its borders, finally bringing it to the point where it had been promised through Abraham. Who's see, We'll get to it later. Um, but. Very interesting promise here. I mean, it's technically both directions, right? But but we have a very interesting promise to the bloodline, right? God promises David. Second Samuel ver- uh, chapter seven, verse eleven. Uh, B. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he uh, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men but my love will never be taken away from him as I look, took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Alright? Is he talking about this? Well, clearly not, because um, this kind of falls apart, and this is destroyed first, or The first they go into exile, and then Jesus comes, and after Jesus we get Rome. Right? And Rome's just as bad. I mean, they're, they're just wipe everything out. They're like, we're done with you. Out of the picture. So, he's obviously not talking about this. Now, there is someone who does come from him who, who gets to, to be a temporal fulfillment of this, right? David's son Solomon does build the temple, right? But by the at this point, right, when these guys are taken off into exile here, that temple is destroyed. And does not become again what it once was. So, even that that house is not what he's talking about. So, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Right? When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men with floggings inflicted by men. Right? Did, did Jesus actually do anything wrong um, of himself? No. no. Why um what happens on the cross, though? He takes right? it all. He takes it all, and and even before the cross, um, you know, this that this he suffered, right? We do confess in the in the creeds, right? And was made man. Um, that he he suffered, he lived, he suffered, he died, he rose, he ascended. Those, those I mean, the suffering is important. I mean, sin requires suffering, and, and indeed he says it is finished before He, did. he has done. But and I don't want to get into nuance there that I'm not theologically trained to cover. But he did suffer. He was punished. He was bruised for our transgressions. Right. He was flogged. Very literally. Um, and and if you know, if he if he bears the marks in his palms, right, when he goes to when Jesus goes to Thomas, he has the markings in his hand, right, and in his side, right, where he was pierced with the spear. So why wouldn't he have the flogging marks as well, right? It's it's perfectly reasonable to think that Jesus is covered with with. Sc- the scars that have, um, that are prophesied here, more or less, um, and yet perfectly, he's perfectly bruised. Right? I mean, it's just that his perfect body still bears the the marks of our redemption. Um, it's beautiful, and and right here is that that promise, right? Your throne will be established forever. Happens right there. Why? Because Jesus is the King. He's, he is the the prophet, the priest, and the king, so um, it would be it would be right to say that um, he rules over a theocracy, but his kingdom is not of this world. Um, so now let's do David, right? When is he coming, right? So he's coming right after Saul. This is this is after. So we got. The kingdoms were just kind of sitting in here. We had a bunch of judges, and then the people were like, eh, we want a king because everybody else has a king. We want to be cool like them. We want to be hip with the times. So they get a king. and Which king is that? That's Saul. And he turns out miserably. And so then they get a good king, right? And they they get David. Going backwards, though, right? We're we're looking back. David's the high point still, though, right? So they get one warm-up king, and then they get the best king that they could possibly hope for, and then everybody else sucks. Because after him comes Solomon, and you could say Solomon's pretty good, right? Except for the um, false worship that he brings in by marrying uh, foreign wives and uh, a lot of them, a lot of them. Um, And then David's grandson is responsible for this, right? David's grandson is the one who said, you know, the advisors from Solomon, the wise king, come in and they say, hey, maybe you should be nice to these guys up here, right? Because they're ruling from Jerusalem, which is down here. So this is the the throne, which is now also the temple, right? Used to be that the Ark of the Covenant was here. And then they, David moved it. So that means everybody up here, all the Jews had to come down there, well, like three times a year or something, um, to worship. For what we Passover feast of booths and one other one, um, so they they were they really didn't like having to do all the traveling because that also meant they had to buy the local food, and they had to stimulate the local economy, which happened to be very good for the king. Um, so his advisors say, hey, you should relieve the tax burden, maybe be nice to them, and they say, and then his his buddies say, actually, you should probably tax them a little harder. You know, let's squeeze as much as we can out of these guys, and then we get the split. Right, big surprise. We you know, over taxation. Causes a rift in a country. Um, so now we have this this massive divide, from and then and then both sides start falling apart, right? A few hundred years, we get Elijah coming in to say, um, "You guys are totally off the mark because your your four hundred prophets of the false gods need to be shown that they're total charlatans." And in the south, you know, a few years later, what happens? They get taken over into exile. And then by the time they get back, silence. So, after the exile, this this kingdom is gone. This kingship is gone. There's nobody there. This is the high point. This is this is this is what they're looking backwards to. This is why he's important, right? Partially because of this promise. Right? Partially because your throne will be established forever, right? They still trust this promise. Right? Even, you know. The Jews at that time did trust that that. That kingdom would endure, but you know this was as good as it got. Um, so that's when and where this is, we covered who. We covered what he did, right? What did he do? What did he do? He he. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. David had faith in God. Um, you know, there's a. He's described as. <laughs> God describes him as a man after his own heart, right? But what is that? It is It is. he believes the promise. David trusts that when God says he'll do something, he doesn't. That's it. And in time he does, right? That's the beauty of David is, is he is blessed. He, he goes from shepherd, right? Guy who stands out in the fields having to keep track of sheep, which are... Honorary little creatures um, they don't do I mean they're, they're like worse than kids sheep are worse than probably worse than kids goats are only the goats are worse but because goat, goats are nasty goats are actually called kids that's <laughs> that's a good <laughs> point for good reason yeah. they're, they're both they're both independent and mean um, and so he had to go and keep track of them all and fight off cougars and you know lions and tigers and bears and probably not tigers but you know all the beasts of the field who were come, trying to come and steal that flock he goes from that you know, ultimate grunt work to doing exactly the same thing with the entire children of Israel. Yeah. I mean, in terms of job description, pretty pretty similar. You know, slightly different animal, um, and slightly different responsibilities. But his focus is faith, right? He believes God. But we do have a big old black mark on his on his record one just shining sin right which we make sure we teach to remind everybody that this last point right simultaneously having faith right justified through faith and a sinner in need of repentance why David and Bathsheba 2nd Samuel chapter 11 right what happens Verse 2, or verse 1, right? In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the kingsmen. But David remained in Jerusalem, right? So what's he doing? Well, he's not going to war anymore. He likes he likes his, his city. He likes the things he's built. He likes his house, right? What happens as a result? One evening, David got up from his bed. <laughs> so he's been on his bed. And he walks about on the roof of the palace and the roof, he saw a woman bathing, the woman was very beautiful, and then he commits adultery with her and then to cover up his sin right, so that's sixth commandment right, but then to cover up his sin he tries to do some, he tries to get another man to break the fourth commandment, right he brings Uriah home, the husband of this woman, right, what's the what is the sixth commandment, really quick. Right, you shall not commit adultery. So he's committed adultery. He wants to cover it up, so that the people don't know that their their king is a sinner. Um, he's trying to he's trying to justify himself, justify his sin apart from faith. Right. So what does he do? He brings him in. And he says, "Go home, go lie with you, lay with your wife." Right. I brought you back. Enjoy the evening, right? A man with a beautiful, a foreigner, a Hittite man with a beautiful wife, right? This isn't a Jew, even. I mean, this is a this is a man from a different culture who did not have these promises, who didn't even have the Ten Commandments given to him and his people. But he had come into this land where they were, and was apparently, you know, apparently a mighty warrior. Um, but he doesn't do it because he's at war. He, 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 he responds when David says, now why didn't you go home? It doesn't make sense to him. And he says, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will, do, I will not do such a thing. Right? And then he tries to get him to do it again. And he gets him drunk to try and do it again, right? So now, now we're we're really stretching it, right? He's he's getting him to lose control and trying to get him to dishonor his his oath to his men and his responsibility as a man under authority, which is a fourth commandment issue. What is the fourth commandment? No. Honor your father and mother. Fifth commandment is, you shall not murder. Um, so, fourth you shall... Honor your father and mother, and Luther um, correctly exposes this to say, we should fear and love God so that... Um, oh, it escapes me for a moment. We should love God so that we uh, do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Right? Um, the king... King David did say, go home and eat with your wife, but he had also said, go to war. And his directly, his the, the Uriah's commanding officer said, you're, you know, had, had called him to war, and he had been there. That was his vocation. That was his job. It was not his position to go home and be with his wife. And David tries to, I mean, again, he sins again, right? He tries to get him to break this, and he doesn't. He gets him drunk, and he tries to get him to do it, and he doesn't. And at this point, David's freaking out, this is starting to show up, right? His sin is starting to show up. Like, he can't keep... He's trying to get rid of it. And it'd be so easy if Uriah just went home, then they you know, could say to the kid, the kid that is, is Uriah's and everything's fine. Nope. Um, instead, he sends a message to Joab to put him on the front lines and then pull back. You know? And so what we end up with is Uriah the Hittite, you know, fighting at the front lines of the city um, uh, and, uh, what happens? A, uh, so while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah in a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Didn't you know they would shoot, um, uh, there was a messenger sent to David, and he said, um, from Job, and he said, didn't you know that shoot arrows from the wall, and uh, Uriah the Hittite is dead. And uh, rather than saying, oh, maybe that wasn't the best strategy for attacking a city, is to throw all your men at the strongest point, David says, don't let this upset you, the sword devours one as well as the other, press the attack against the city and destroy it. Oh, no big deal. Yeah, win some, you lose some. Right? Um, he's, he's finally got it covered up. He's finally covered up the fact that he sinned miserably and took what he wanted. But then the Lord sent the prophet to bust it all up. Right? The <coughs> Lord sent Nathan to David. And he... Um, tells him about the man who had many sheep and there was a beggar who had one sheep and the man with many sheep when, a, when a, somebody showed up at his house he's like I like my sheep so I'm going to go take the beggar sheep he's not going to miss it I have more sheep anyway I'm more important so he kills the other sheep he kills the beggar sheep and serves it to the the guy who visited him and David is you know, full of anger and says the As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Verse 13 Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Lord has taken away your sin, you are not going to die. But because of this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born of you to you will die. So right David, the man from whom the who, the man whose kingdom will be forever, has sinned against God and then tried to cover it up, and then done another sin, right? Uh, Even worse, right? He did a bad thing, and then it went even worse. Um, I mean, just in terms of uh, going from 6th commandment to 5th commandment, that's, that's pretty bad. And what does he do when he's finally confronted with it, right? He's been trying to hide it for so long, he's been trying to get away with it, with Uriah, by trying to get Uriah to be, you know, if you could just do the wrong thing, then I can get away with my thing, and then God sends Nathan, and he said, you've sinned. And David Mm -hmm. has faith, and he says, I have. I have sinned against the Lord. And then what is God's response to this sin? Is it, you're darn right, you deserve it, and you're going to die for it? Well, eventually, right? The first words out of Nathan's mouth, though, are the Lord has taken away your sin. Forgiveness. The first thing that God says is I forgive you. And the second thing is however, your sin has consequences. You're justified but you're still going to suffer sin in this life. Um, And as a consequence as well, you know. Um, the uh, the sword will never depart from your house. Mm-hmm. What happened? This is the high point. This is the high point, and everything then goes to here: division, the exile, the return, and the waiting. And this is this is the man of faith, right? The man who believes everything, who be- who trusts in God, right? Why, right? Why does he trust God? Well, let's keep going backwards. We might have to move a little faster. Um, so, we're going to go back to the book of, uh, two, two books. First, uh, the book of Ruth, right? She's our first little pick mark here, right? The first little, little bloodline here because she points forward to David. And that's why she's in the book. Well, that and one other thing, right? Anybody here not know the story of Ruth? It's a fantastic read. Um, highly recommend just spend an evening and read through this. It's better than most books. Um, War and Peace is pretty good, but Ruth is Ruth really is good. Ruth, yeah. Ruth is history. <laughs> yeah, a lot faster <laughs> read. Um, and it's actual history instead of pseudo-history. Um, the main, the main focuses here are two. We're going to start at the final part, right? We're going to start literally with uh, Ruth chapter 4. Uh, for those of you who have these, yeah, she's in the one, 180s, 190s. Uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, right? This is this is where she's going to come into our story first because we're going backwards, right? Um, We'll, we'll figure, we'll touch on who Boaz is first, right? Who, who these characters are. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff on, you know, wh- what does it mean that Boaz is the redeemer, right? What does that mean? Um, perhaps we can cover that, Pastor, you cover that another day. Um, it's a great, it's a great book, though. Um, and some, some very interesting stuff about how the Levitical Codes worked and and why they were all pointing forward to Jesus, why, why that slog in the middle of of Moses is just so hard to read, but it's all Jesus. Um, So, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. um, And they have a son named, um, what is his name? Obed. Obed. So, the son of Ruth is Obed. The son of Obed is Jesse. And the son of Jesse is David. So, that makes Ruth an ancestor of Jesus. Is Ruth a Jew? No. Where is she from? Actually, verse 10. Um as announced to the elders of the people, verse 9. Uh, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess. Malam's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses, right? So, so this is kind of the, the, the this is the point of the redeemer is he's he's buying the property from uh, for the sake of the dead, right? For the sake of the dead, the, the widow um, the widow holds on to the land for the opportunity that the that someone else from her family line can buy it back and keep it in the family. And the same thing, this happens also with, with Ruth, so that the name of the dead, um, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So, she's she's a Moabite. she is, right? So now we have another version of this, right? I mean, so we have the, like the Amalekites up here. We have, oh, I need like a symbol for bad just some 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 got a bunch of bad guys over here right and we got a bunch of bad guys down here and we got a bunch of bad guys in here and bad guys up here and bad guys down here and then we got Egypt over there right on our map as far as i know Moab is over here right um, not partic- not not given the promise right they are not god's people but this woman if we if we scroll back to um, Chapter 1, right? The reason that you get this is because um, of chapter 1, verse 3. Now, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. So, there was a fa- um, in verse 1, there was a famine in Israel. A man from Bethlehem went to Moab. So, a man, a man from Bethlehem leaves because of the, there's a threat on his life. While he's there, marries a foreign woman. Um, and then what happens, right? Oh, and this gets this is where it gets interesting with, with Ruth, right? I'm sitting down because I'm excited. Um, so, so um, this is this is like the core of the story of Ruth. Uh, chapter one, verse eleven. Um, the, 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 these sons have died, their husbands have died, they're now widows, so you have uh, their mother-in-law and then these two, these two Moabite women, these two foreign women with foreign gods, right? Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons or, would you, uh, or <laughs> who could become your husbands? Right? No. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Now, um, go home. That's what she says. And then Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Right? I'm going to read that again. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you will stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God where you die I will die and there I will be buried may the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely if anything but death separates you and me so why does she stay with Naomi your God will be my God may the Lord deal with me right that's I mean she's calling on the name of the Lord she has faith she she, is, she can't go back to her people and her gods because they're not her gods anymore right? when this man from Bethlehem and his sons came out and, and married them they brought their faith with them and when they died she clung to it she clung to the promise she clung to these promises and when she returns she marries Obed right? who is of the bloodline of Judah, right? So she actually marries into the bloodline of Christ, and her son is the grandfather of the king, whose kingdom will never end. Um, Jesus comes from her bloodline. That is an that is absolutely fantastic reality. Uh, Now let's go back to Judges, or not Judges, Joshua, right? We're going to go look at another woman who um, is tied to this bloodline as well and examine why she's mentioned, right? Fascinating story, right? So between these two women, right, Ruth happens sometimes during the Judges, right? And the Judges is this period between Moses, right, who we all know had such an easygoing and carefree lifestyle dealing with the absolutely faithful children of Israel, wandering around for 40 years in the desert, grumbling about the food that they didn't like. Um, just, you know, really stress-free environment. He then he then gives it up to Joshua, and Joshua, at the end of his book, basically says, look, you're all going to fall away. I'm not taking this responsibility on myself. My ha- Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Y'all are up to your own devices. And they, of course, say, you know, we will serve the Lord. And then what happens? It all falls apart. Um, it all falls apart, and then they say, hey, give us a king, right? We're basically like everybody else anyway, give us a king, right? And then it happens to be a terrible king, and then you get one good king, before it all falls apart again, God has to send somebody to say, hey, guys, remember this stuff, right? Remember this Moses and this Joshua guy? Like, this is your God. But they don't want to. They want to be like the nations, so they're destroyed and taken into exile. All right, Joshua, chapter. Oh, uh, this one is not very well. That's, uh, aha chapter two. Um, then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from someplace um, and said, "Go look at Jericho, in particular." So they went and entered the house of a prostitute. And Rahab, and stayed there, right? A couple of Jewish spies go into the foreign city, and they go to the house of the prostitute. Now, there may have been a tactical reason for this, because, you know, they want to get people, when they're um, vulnerable and willing to spill secrets, you know, those would have been available in that um, establishment. But then, what happens? Um, The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, uh, or, sorry, Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who, who came to, your, to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know where they went. Go after them. You might be able to catch them. Okay. Paraphrase. But they were actually on the roof. So, um, before the spies lay down for the night, verse 8, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt 40 years prior. Right? Forty years ago, that happened and these people have suddenly arrived on, on their banks. Right, So this is, a, this is enough for myth or legend, right? People, the, the, the waters parted and they walked off into the wilderness, right? And they vanished, and now they're back, and stronger than ever. Um, and what you did to uh, Simonov, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God of heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that I will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Right? And what does she do? She she is told to hang a, uh, it, a curtain Wrote, thank you. Um, Out her window, a scarlet cord. And um, a couple of chapters later, when we get the the famous story of the sack of Jericho, right, where they walk around it in, in silence every day, and then the final day they walk around, and then they blow the trumpets and they sing and they shout, and the walls come tumbling down. There's one part that doesn't come down, one one very particular part that doesn't come down, because there's a cord on it. And let's find where that is. Uh, do, 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 do. Jericho, chapter six, Joshua, chapter six. Right. What a good story. Um. Right. Verse sixteen. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, "Shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her." Uh, in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Um, and then you know, don't take the stuff, and they take the stuff anyway, right? Verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as the spies to Jericho. Right? It's very, it's, it's very repetitive because it wants you to remember. Um, and uh, and then what happens to her? Um... Oh, where is it? Aiken, we get Aiken and the Sins. Oh, come on. Is this is put. This is not I should've I should have found this exact spot. Um She ends up in the line of the kings. And I cannot find I exactly I put that. Or, most, or Joshua put it, but um sticks. But she she um marries into the line, I believe, of Perez and becomes a part of that, of that, uh, people. Oh, there's got to be that. Ah, uh, Google help again. Mm-hmm. Uh, <coughs> Joshua are chapter two, chapter three and six, and then you go to the New Testament. Right, that's so what's it's Matthew then. Yeah. Matthew 1.5. Right. Alright, so Matthew one five, thank you, is Aha. There it is. Um, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So, and so, we can we can reasonably assume this is the same Rahab because one there's only one in the Bible there's only one other Rahab in the Bible and if Matthew thinks it relevant to mention her why um, so uh, that that is the the mother of Obed or the mother of Boaz. Um, who then marries Ruth, right? So we have uh, it says mother-in-law functionally, right? It says that, and they must have this from someplace else that Rahab is referred to as the wife of Solomon, one of the spies. Ah, that must be in here. Somewhere. And that may be, maybe maybe is in here, maybe it comes so from an external spies? source. Well, it'd be interesting to see what the spies' names are. Um, there's got to be some, I, I know there's, there's somewhere where it says that they, they went back and, got but, and I know it's, it's somewhere in here, but I just cannot, for the life of me, figure out where, and we have very little time, unfortunately. Something to look up later, but from the book of Matthew, we do have that she is the mother of Obed, right? So she's a foreign woman. Who, who, who hears the the promise, who hears the who, who hears about God, right? Who hears about what happened at the Red Sea, and knows it's the same people, and says, "Your God is God," so I'm going to take care of you, and I'm I'm asking you to take, I mean, I'm asking that He take care of me as well. God spares her, all right. But all the wall comes crumbling down except this part. I don't think that's architectural. That's good, just good civil engineering. I think there's there's probably a reason for that. Um it would probably honestly be one of the weaker parts of the wall. And then she marries into the into that house. Her son um, marries a different foreign woman who hears about the promise and says, the Lord is God, has faith in that. And a couple generations a few generations later we have David, right? So once again, we have a foreign a a foreign woman brought into the line and and give given time in the scriptures to, to to tell us that she had faith right two two of these women um, are pointed out particularly because of that that fact and that from this bloodline of faith comes the king and then comes the king All right Now, part of the problem is, right, in here, right, part of the reason everything goes bad, leading to David, leading to the falling apart, is because, sure, maybe she had faith, but her people didn't. Her people were some of the most awful and nasty people on earth. I mean, I already said that about the Assyrians, but this is, like, just as bad. We're talking human sacrifice, child sacrifice, all the bad stuff, right? I had a friend in high school who had major issues with God going and saying, hey, you should wipe out the Canaanite civilization from the earth. And he said, you know, how could God say you need to commit genocide? Um, and that's what actually got me to double-check what the Canaanites actually did and what they believed. And when I found out that they were as awful as advertised, I thought, you know, I think he would agree that that's pretty bad. We should probably get rid of it. Um, you know, when you're not just killing everybody else, you're killing your own your own people and... Um, you know, these is this awful people but more importantly, right? Not just because they're awful, but because of this right here, because of this, right? Because if he doesn't get rid of those people to establish the land, which he can appoint his king over, then the you know and that goes to bad anyway, right? Then, then how could he save the remnant of the stuff that, even when that's in place, goes bad, right? So he kicks people out and thinks, and then everything, everything start, slowly devolves into idolatry, right? The judges get worse and worse and worse. If you read through the book of judges, you know, the first couple are like, hey, this guy was pretty great. By the time you get to what? Wrap it up. Oh, okay. Well, well <laughs> gee, I thought I had more time. 10 minutes. Five minutes. Five, two minutes. Ugh, shucks. Um, but we covered the part that most people don't cover. right? So the judges get eventually worse. Samson is probably the absolute... Um, I heard a, heard a guy go through Samson. He's basically the anti-Jesus. right? Big, muscly guy who goes about getting what he wants. He happens to also save Israel. So so he does that part like Jesus, but he does it in all the wrong ways. Um, just terrible low points here. And then we get Saul and David, right? A, a moment of where, where the kingdom is restored and, and brought to glory and, and spread out. Um, and the promise is, is, is made. And then it falls apart again, right? God reminds people, hey, I sent a promise, right? I said I'd save you. Um, and you're falling away. You're falling away from the truth, right? The line is at risk again. This, this bloodline is at risk. They get sent into exile. Right? The story of Esther is is important because Esther's in this exile period where somebody's trying to wipe out that line again. Right, Somebody's trying to eliminate the entire Jewish people. That is important because of this bloodline. Because God promised from this bloodline would come Jesus. So he saves his people. And eventually this does come to pass. Um, to, to use up the rest of our, our limited time, uh, we're going to cover uh, these points here, really quickly. I'm, we might do this tomorrow. I haven't decided what I want to do tomorrow quite yet. So I kind of want to finish this, but I also kind of want to do something else. Um, this one, and this one, and these two. Right. So to finish up our little diagram. Right. Where did this come from? Well, Moses, right? We all know about Moses and Sinai, right? The Ten Commandments, wandering the wilderness, and, and the fantastically um, miserable life that he led, right? The the key points here are, he was sent by God, much like Elijah, Elijah, right? Sent by God to speak words to the people, right? To speak words to the nations as well, the king, Pharaoh, right? Let my people go. Turn from your sin. Let them go worship. Right, stop worshiping the false gods. Systematically going through, right? There's a very strong parallel between these guys. Um, he um, also is there to set up the kingdom, right? The kingdom which is necessary, right? Which which David reunifies, which then falls apart, which is then saved through the, through this, so that Jesus can come, right? So we have a historical reason and, and a promise. What's um, happening here? with Moses. Before this, right, who who was Moses leading? People of Israel, right, the children of Abraham? Israel would be one level up here, like here, right? This one is Judah, right? Who's a fantastic story in his own right, right? Judah is the bloodline of Christ, even though he's the fourth son, right? Usually it should go by the birthright. Reuben falls into sin, doesn't repent. Simeon and Levi, same thing. They don't repent. Judah has this really interesting story that sits in the middle of the story of Joseph where he, his daughter-in-law's, you know, he, he, two of, he, he, one of his sons marries this woman and then the son dies and so he gives her to another son and that son dies, right? And it says that they were actually evil and God struck them down. So he's like, well, I like my other son. I want my line to continue. So, you know, no, you can't marry the other one even though that's his job. His job is to marry her to the other one, right? To, to, to make sure she's taken care of. So she has nothing. He's basically done nothing for her. So she tricks him into taking her himself and taking care of her. Um, and then their son is actually the one from whom this bloodline comes. The son of him and this woman who he had cast out because he he, he when she finally tricks him into realizing it, it's like, oh, okay, I, I, have, I have sinned and I must re- make restitution. The other part of that is the, the better known one from the story of Joseph, right? Joseph goes down to Egypt. Um, the one who actually, who's the one who suggests selling him into slavery? Do you know? Right. His, brother? his, his brothers do. Benjamin? Which one? Is it Benjamin? Uh, Benjamin is still young at that time. Um, Reuben actually, like they were originally gonna kill him. Reuben the eldest says, no, just throw him in a pit because he wants to pick him up later. And Judah actually, the one who sees the um, the traders going by, the Ishmaelites going by, and says, hey, let's sell him. Let's make some money off of the kid, right? If we kill him, he's off of our hands. Sure, but if we just sell him, we make some money off of him, right? That Judah, later, when they have to go down and to, to see their brother, right? They don't know that he's their brother. And they bring in Benjamin down. He knows he's responsible for that. He's, he's already gone through this thing with with um, her name is Tamor, right? He's he's a different man, to say the least. And when Benjamin comes by, he says, um, wait, Benjamin goes up and it goes down. and you know, There's a lot of story there, but, which is really good. I'm, I'm hand-waving mostly for time. It, I wish I hadn't done. But Benjamin is, is called down because Joseph refuses to give them grain. And then his, you know, Joseph leaves the cup there because he's basically testing his brothers. He's saying, do you really love this guy or are you just going to give him up like you gave up me? Right? He wants to see have they, have they grown up and learned their lesson? And uh, what happens? Genesis uh, 44, verse 18, uh, verse 17, right? Joseph said, "Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Right? will okay, I'll get the younger brother off your hands too. Don't worry. Right? I know he loves. I know he. You know, you were bitter because our our father loved me more than you, and you know he's the only one he has left now. So he probably loves this kid more than the rest of you. Are you still bitter about this? I'll take him off your hands." Then Judah went up to him and said. Please, my lord, let your servant speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. You know, our father is old, and he said, um, "If you, you know, paraphrasing him, right?" And he said, "My my youngest son must come back, or else I will die." Um, so now, if the boy is not with us. Verse 30, so now if the boy boy is not with us when we, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy is not there, he will die. If your servant will bring the gray hair of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now please, let your servant remain here as if the Lord's, my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. So, what does Judah do? He gives himself, he offers himself in place of his brother um, to um, save his father. Right to 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 serve his father's will, right. It's it's from him then that Christ comes to lay down his own life for the sake of right, all all mankind, all humankind, right, um, to obey the father's wrath, right, to to fulfill what must happen, the justice that God deserves on us because we are sinful. Right. So Judas, Judas, far from a perfect guy. Right. I mean, he's the guy who sold him into slavery in the first place, but he has, he has repented of this deed and he does not want, he doesn't want to make his father angry. He doesn't want to kill his father. He doesn't care about that. He, he wishes to make restitution and he doesn't think it's possible because he thinks Joseph is dead. Right. And yet then what does Joseph have the ability to do? He has the ability to do the same thing and forgive him. Right. Joseph is able to provide forgiveness to his brothers who come before him in repentance. Right. Joseph is here as the prophet this time, right? Just fantastic story. Um, Abraham, hope you all know about Abraham. So I'll just say a couple words, right? From you all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Right? Not just Israel, right? Israel is more specific. I mean, he does say, you know, I will make you a great nation. But he also says all the nations of the world. right? This is, this is very key in um in the book of, of Hebrews and in the book of uh, yeah, I think it's Hebrews is the one, um, where it's like, hey, this isn't just the Jews. Jesus is for all nations. Um but what is the big one for Abraham, right? I'll give you a son. Trust me. Okay. I'll do it with Ishmael. I was like, no, not that one. I'm gonna give you a son. Okay. What about I do it differently? Like, no. Cut it out, Abraham. You know, what does he do he goes down to Egypt and he says oh she's my sister right so that you, I don't die because I, I think I'm going to die Like, no she's your wife he does this like two or three times constantly doing the wrong thing and God eventually says you know cut it out Abraham next year you'll have a son Sarah laughs sure enough a year later they have a son right and then what does God say alright go up to the mountain right um as as best I can uh, tell from the uh, naming records it's basically the same mountain as Jerusalem is built upon right go up to the mountain and and kill your son sacrifice your son the one that I've been promising you that I would give you and from whom you would have a great host of, 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 of people right. right that one yeah go kill him and you've got to think, if you're Abraham, you're like, okay, so I've been trying to skirt around this for so long, and he finally did what, what he said he was going to do, and now he wants me to, to do this too. And he has faith. I mean, he's been, he has been a miserable sinner up until this point, right? Not believing, not, not trusting God to do what he did, and he trusts him here. And what does he do? As he's about to kill his son Isaac, God provides a lamb stuck by his head with thorns to be the sacrifice upon the mountain by which his people are preserved right and so Isaac lives and the, and, and from that line right Judah Moses sort of you know not from Judah but Moses is then to these people Rahab and Ruth marry into this line David from this line Jesus from that line, right? From the promise. Why? Because he believed. Not not because he was going to kill him, but because he believed that 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 didn't matter, that God was going to save him anyway, because God had promised that this would happen and had been faithful. Right? This one is Noah. Same deal. Right? Um, God is looking at the, the earth and he says, well, it's been completely just, you know, there's no one good here. But Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God, right? Noah found, uh, Genesis 6, verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, right? All throughout here, right? Particularly David, right? We covered it really deeply with David, right? What does that mean, right? To find favor in the eyes of God, to, to, you know, God to look favorably upon someone is the head faith. Noah believes the promise that was given to Adam. Noah believes that God is going to save His people. He's looking forward to Christ, and so God gives him a promise in the rainbow after He's taken him through the flood. Right. Everyone on earth is a descendant of Noah, including Christ. There's a lot more baptism stuff that could go into there, but it all comes back. Then uh, probably over time, but if we can get like five minutes um, to Adam, right. Adam is responsible for the fall, right? Yeah, Eve ate, the fruit, ate of the fruit, but then she gave to, to Adam. And every single picture you see of it is properly shown with them side by side, right? Because Adam knew what was going on and he, he let her do it, right? His job, right? God told him, don't eat of the fruit. His job was to make sure she didn't either. And he sat there and tested him, right? He's the first scientist, you know? It's like, hey, I wonder if she's gonna die um not 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 a good thing and and not faithful right not believing that when god said you know if you eat of it you will surely die that it meant her to yeah. and and well maybe it didn't i don't know um probably did um uh, but suffice it to say after the fall the first thing god does sorry, same thing he did to david is he gives a promise um you know he he gives a promise by cursing the the seed of the serpent right he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel right there he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel um i will i will crush you into the dirt you know there will be there will be some some death there but you will be utterly vanquished and at the same time through the seed of the woman right you know your seed and her seed, so so not. It won't just be somebody like some angel popping out of the sky and being like, "All right, I beat you." It won't be the archangel Michael. It is a human being coming from the seed of the woman. Will crush your head. This is this is the you know proto evangelion is the, the big phrase there. I mean, it's the it's the first good news coming immediately after the first sin. Right. We've sinned, and God gives us a promise. By you know, God gives us His His words, and we believe it. And because we believe the words, we are justified, right? Adam believes this word. What is it? the first the, the, the first kid they have? They call Cain, which means the Lord. He's like, all right, cool, we got it, game over, it's it's done, you know. And then he murders his brother, right? Obviously, not the right guy. Well, a little bit much of that here on this side, right? So we get Seth, right? But then we get a bloodline leading all the way to Noah. Noah, who believes this promise, right? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your head. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. He believes that. So God saves him from the flood and gives him a promise. I will not destroy the whole earth. Abraham is called and and told, from your from your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, right? Same promise, same promise here. And he's given the promise. Judah, same thing. A sinful man, but from, from this sinner, the bloodline. Moses gives the people the, the Levitical codes pointing forward to Jesus, which is just a really fantastic You know, the sacrifice is required for, this, for the sake of the people. The sins of the people must be saved. The sins must be covered with the promise of God. The women who believe are brought into the bloodline. David, your kingdom will never end. Um, not a perfect man, but your kingdom will never end. Elijah, coming to teach, tell the people you've fallen away. Remember this, right? This and, this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Like, how can you forget this? This is your history. This is this is God's at work. He's he's coming to do this, but but the sinful flesh is the, the flesh is weak. And, and so the word of God must constantly come to call us to repentance and so what happens here after they come out of exile is they wait and they, and they have no further word until a voice crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God who then shows up to give us words the same words of forgiveness To die, to be the ultimate sacrifice, to crush the serpent's head, blessing all the world, you know, wherever we may be from, to establish an eternal kingdom with a washing, right? Noah, with a washing for the forgiveness of sins. And now we're over here. We're over here on the other side of that, looking back, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who, by faith, endured everything they went through. Sinners though they were, right? Awful people though they were at times, or, you know. Come on, David. You, you should know. You should know better, David. But but, but he still a he's still a man, just like the rest of us. And here stand we. That's a terrible stick figure. Here we are, looking back, right, through all of these Old Testament stories and all of these Old Testament writings, and they would all have us point our focus right right there. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. from sinful men, like us, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, We're not alone, and uh, the struggles we go with on a daily basis are not our own. You know, they—they they, they are the sinful. They are the sinful flesh. But we have an advocate with the, with the father jesus christ the righteous one right we have the same promise and the same blood right we receive the blood every sunday and we receive the promise at our baptism right i mean that was kind of the point right? we got the water and the blood um and so we have this this beautiful gift of of being able to look back at the faithful who have gone before us and are with christ um, even amongst our midst, the, those who are uh, who we know, who have who have gone, and those those witnesses as well, and we can look at the faith that justified them, even though they were um, sinners, nonetheless. Thank you for listening to the first presentation on Christ in the Old Testament that I had the privilege of giving. I hope you'll join me for the second part once it's available, and I hope to hear your feedback on uh, this one as well. Until then, God's peace be with you all. Amen.